Welcome to the fourth podcast episode of the Americana. I'm the host, Keith Johnson. Thank you for listening in. I appreciate you being here. This episode is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt Goals. This is for my BJJ brothers and sisters and anyone out there who could be up and coming or interested who have made it their mission to achieve their black belts. Some of, if not all of this podcast will help you personally if you're struggling a bit on the mat or if you just need some mat pointers from someone who has some serious mat arthritis. For those of you who BJJ guys and girls that jumped past the other podcasts I have because you saw jiu-jitsu and don't know yet, I'm a second-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've been training and competing for almost 30 years. I started doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu in Oregon when there was literally no black belts in Portland or the surrounding areas, and Straight Blast Gym was the top gym around. If I remember right, I think Matt Thornton was the only black belt that existed at that time, and at at least uh, that I can remember. Mike Chapman, I believe, was a purple, and Tom Ober, he was a blue. These were our top guys in Oregon at the time, so... The struggle was real to find high-level high belt guys to train with. So many of you have no idea how good you have it today with all the talented black belts in and out of your gyms now in today's time. So this is my advice. First, I would say, what level are you? So here's a question. Are you a white, blue, purple, brown? Well, no matter what level you are, you might be asking, what's the secret to getting better at jiu-jitsu? You might ask someone who has been around a while. Well, here's a starter. Show up to class. That's the simplest thing to do. Show up to class. Well, maybe not the simplest thing to do, but the simplest way to get better. When I myself was considerably more regular to the academy, I would always see guys coming and going. Having mad envy from a friend they used to be able to tap out but now avoiding the rules because the once easy rule has now become a monster you'd like to avoid. What's the best way to handle that issue? Well, here's some advice. Praise your friend's growth. Yeah, that new monster that you just discovered, they will be more apt to help you grow and get caught up to them with this attitude versus being unhappy for them. They may only continue to remind you of their growth if you aren't happy and you don't come at them with a positive attitude. Next, enjoy your role. I'm going to share some insight I've learned over the years. When rolling with your partner, make sure you're having fun. If you're not smiling at some point and laughing with your partner, you're taking your rolling way too serious. Have you ever noticed that some guys in the gym get really good, really fast, and some don't. Some of that's due to athleticism. Maybe better shape, more flexible, better cardio. But I've watched these guys for years and noticed one thing. The guys and girls that look like they're having fun no matter what, no matter whether they're tapping or being tapped, we're always accelerating way faster when they look like they're having fun. This is why I think Kids learn quicker than adults with most everything. Kids oftentimes have fun playing, and playing becomes learning. This is challenging for most adults to do because 
we're burdened by the bad day we had and oftentimes bring it to the gym. And the fact that you just got tapped by a lower belt just compounded the shitty day you had. So don't let that happen. Have fun on the mat. Enjoy your rolls. Hicks and Gracie had a great quote. Rolling is meditation, not competition. Something very difficult for guys to remember in the gym when rolling. So the third thing, train for reality. I always train like you're on pavement. So that way when you are, you're not caught off guard. I spent a rest I spent years arresting assholes and fighting over pavement. Everyone rolls different at the gym. Total different styles. The one thing I can honestly say that I took away from my style of training was this, the power positions, right? I, I've arrested over a 1,000 people, and I would say 40% of those pretty much fought. So I've probably had close to approximately 400 physical altercations during arrests, all doing this over concrete. This probably gives me more experience the hand-to-hand street scenarios than most anyone out there has that's not sitting in jail for fighting. So what were the major go-to positions, you would probably wonder? Well, I can promise you, Baron Bolo won't, isn't one of them. First, I would suggest learn how to tie up your opponent from the feet safely. When you go to the ground, land on them, not the pavement. People are much softer than concrete. Drilling and sparring with your partner while letting them wear boxing gloves will really help a lot if you're having any trouble with speed on your entry for like your takedowns. Nothing makes your takedown quicker than someone swinging leather at your face. I learned quick how to do that, what I call answering the phone with both hands, getting my head close to their chest or waist and arms around the body in a gable grip to collapse the back or slip down for a single to get somebody on the ground fast. Don't be the UFC fighter, that six-time IBJJF champion that stands up with a Muay Thai fighter. This guy is going to rip your head off. You see it time and time again. Your medals mean nothing on your feet. Remember that. Look for side control once the fight goes to the ground or your tie-up goes to the ground. It's the first and safest position to transition from once you get once you get somebody down. This position also keeps your head low in case the guy has a friend ready to kick you in the face. Again, first-hand knowledge shared here. From side control, I immediately go to north-south. This is where and when I usually try to roll or the guys try to roll to their stomach to get back up. But instead of typical gym movement where you would take the back, I found that immediately attacking the key lock to a wrist hold ended the movement very fast. Immediately got compliance. It also allowed you a quick second or even a quick few seconds to check your back. If I was working and if I wasn't working, actually, and I was in the streets, I would recommend to go to a harness 
from that position when a guy's trying to roll away and then take the back, do a quick collar choke or rear naked choke, put him to sleep and get away fast. The throwing of hands and trying to, to get a knockout has consequences that sometimes can be costly. If you have no other option but to engage in a fight, end it quick. Even if you know you could stay in play. There was many times where I tied up with people, arresting them, and I, I just knew. I was like, it was enjoyable. It was fun. I easily could have knee rode, spun around a little bit. But this isn't a video. Sometimes you got to remind yourself you're not trying to make a cool-looking video. You know, anytime somebody could pull a knife or a gun. Confidence is great, but confidence has a close friend. Stupidity. And it loves to come visit confidence regularly. So this is how I train in the gym. I'm not confused on helping others grow their game. But when I'm helping people grow their game, I usually play a super passive non-strength game at the gym. And I do my best to match, maybe push one level above where they're training at currently. I usually try to go just above where they are just to give them a little push, but allowing them to secure position from time to time before escaping. And sometimes not fighting submissions that are executed crisp and clean, as sometimes guys do. And lower belts do, often. Not because we can, but because black belts can break. Black belts can break also. And that's something, as you get to a higher belt, you have to remind yourself as you get older. Remember confidence and his close friend. Every good partner has a lot to offer. I always found I had a good amount of knowledge because I wasn't afraid to grab someone and ask them a question in the gym. If you got submitted two or three times from someone with the same shit, you definitely should ask them. Not only to show you the move and how they set it up, but ask them if they know how to stop it. So let me ask you this. Is it more important to know a move or to stop a move? Without hesitation, you should be saying to stop a move, right? It's always about survival. Not always about the attack, but defensive measures. Now, here's the tricky part. This is where you see if the person you're asking for help is really ready to see their game take off as well. And you may be the person that's getting asked. And how do you know that? If they show you how to defend their attack, and if you're showing people how to defend against their attack. See, I make sure that everyone I train with knows my weakness and how to beat every move that I do. It totally fucks up my game for a while. makes me really vulnerable, even when guys are super strong, and I know they use strength. And I'm sure sometimes people are like, that's weird. I was able to pass him, or I was able to make one move work really well on Keith just now, the one that he just showed me. Well, that's the point. I do it. Not only does it really benefit you and makes your game solid, it benefits me 
because I constantly make myself vulnerable and I have to adjust and improve the technique to become flawless and virtually impossible to stop it. I use a choke from side control that I feel is really closely refined to this caliber, but there's still a lot of room for improvement. I used to roll and literally had a time where I was what I felt the only person doing ankle locks as a blue belt many, many, many years ago. I felt like I could tap people so fast and so easy I had to stop going after them because it was hurting my game. I wasn't able to roll doing other things because I wasn't able to get a roll in long enough before the submission. Now, I never really knew too many ways to show guys how to stop an ankle lock for that defensive training I was talking about earlier. If it was coming on, you better tap, tap fast, or I wouldn't see you for a month or so because you'd be out with a foot injury. This was common in the earlier years. I finally abandoned foot locks and went back to rolling, top game, passing, bottom X guard. Uh, this was my game. I I get into these positions fairly easy, so again... I show how to stop them to refine and enhance what I'm doing. This will fast track your game if you do this. I, w I would recommend finding a training partner that wants to help you and has feedback, ask questions. If a guy is tapping you, figure out why. If he's a lower belt than you are, ask a higher belt why this lower belt is tapping you. Remember, how the lower belt tapped you and refine that shit and stop asking lower belts to show you stuff. I see this all the time in the gym. They're below you for a reason. Even if they tap you with something, it doesn't mean it was done right because being shown wrong shit will kill your game. Every bit as fast as not listening to your coach when he's explaining shit during class. I can't tell you how many people over the years that have showed me something and it was not executed properly or even showed it the right way at all. It happens often. Let me ask you this. Have you ever seen something that works well for someone but you can't make it work at all? It's in the details, the fine details. It's there. You just need to ask. A great methodology to jiu-jitsu is first learn to survive the shit, then how to take the shit, learn how to manage the shit, and then learn how to give the shit back, for lack of better words. Learn to fence in the beginning. It's all about learning how to stop getting your arms and neck ripped off. Survival. Then learn how to execute a better position. Learn reversals. Extremely important, right? You get thrown down on the street and you're stuck there. You know, what are you going to do? You've got to learn how to get out of shit and how to reverse. It's one of the things I think is extremely important and oftentimes undertaught. For sure underdrilled. I'll explain more about that in a second. Next, learn how to get to a solid submitting position. I usually tell guys position before submission, a little rhyme. It's easy to remember. Always do this. If you can't hold it and can't isolate it, you'll never get a clean submission from it. 
that dominance is powerful. To hold and control someone is overwhelming, sometimes worse than being submitted by someone. Like the white belt wrestler that has 20 years of mat experience, it can be super frustrating, I know. Finally, the basic submissions are always going to come to you. Armbar, rear naked, knee bar, foot lock, toe hold. These are basic gym submissions. But for God's sakes, please learn some fucking collar and lapel chokes. I think that... I think that these separate a good purple, brown, into a black is the ability to hammer collar chokes and lapel chokes, setting these things up, wrapping up someone with the gi, wrapping them up with the gi towels, anything loose that you can grip, and trapping them are really underestimated and, and undertrained. It's the fastest way to surprise someone that hasn't seen many of these, even a higher belt that is pretty sure you never do them. They let their guard down. They forget about it. I'm giving you a hint here if you train with me and listen to this. Collar choke, for fuck's sakes. Learn it. The fourth, drills build skills. You know, college courses oftentimes, they have a 30-minute class, and then you have three days of homework, right? Maybe you only have that class two times a week. But there's a lot of extra time to do stuff that you need to be doing before you come back to class. This is how drilling works. Don't expect the 10 times you participate in the class drilling it that you're going to nail it when you're rolling, especially with upper belt guys that are above you. It won't happen. You won't even understand the moves dynamic. Muscle memory is freakishly freakishly underrated. Uh, underrated. <clears throat> I'll, give you a, I'll give you an example of this. I had an elbow surgery at Rebound Physical Therapy five years ago. My doctor just before surgery said, do you have any questions before I put you under? <laughs> I said, well, not a question, but a suggestion. He said, yeah, what's that? I said, well, you mentioned to me that you were going to wake me up in the middle of the surgery to check on me. Now, I was just letting him know. I said, I, I do competitive Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and a certain fight or flight has been built into me over the years because of this. So, I just want you to be aware when waking me up, I might be somewhat combative. The doctor kind of laughed, said, okay, and blew it off. I could tell by his dismissiveness in his voice. He had never seen or felt what potentially could happen when grabbed by someone of a grappling nature could do. Well, during surgery, he woke me up. Now, I don't remember any of this from this point on at all. From the story he told me, this is what happened. When the doctor woke me up, I collar-grabbed his neck. I cross-choked him, nearly unconscious, for what he felt like obviously must have been a while because there was a total of about six additional people that came into the room on top of the ones that were already in there to try to pile on me to hold me down and restrain me until the until the uh, anesthesiologist could sedate my body again to control me long enough to shoot uh, my IV back up and get me under control. Really weird waking up to everyone being mad at you and you have no idea why. But this is a great example of muscle memory. 
Your body does shit because it's trained to. You don't even need to be awake for it to happen. When you have chokes down like this, people will respect when your hands enter their collars. Fifth, jujitsu for depression. You know, there are many reasons to make sure someone's time on the mat is a good one. Always being positive and be good to each other. Treat the person you're rolling with like your game depends on it because it literally does. There are extremely important the people that are there, your partners, they're very important to your growth. We never know what demons mentally people are struggling with. I know I've been through some things in my life that when I left the gym, they came on strong. So encouraging people to really enjoy their time at the gym will help them return. Always be mindful of the place someone might be at. A smile's not always easy to wear, but it does reprogram the way people respond to you. If you or someone you know has any form of depression or anxiety and are willing to take the step forward to jiu-jitsu, get them in a beginner's class ASAP immediately. I truly believe nothing kills depression or anxiety faster than grappling. There is something about sparring, the atmosphere, the sweating, the heat, and the people, and learning how to defend yourself that is very therapeutic to your mind. On the sixth thing, what jiu-jitsu brings. Brazilian jiu-jitsu has really been responsible for most all the great things in my life. And one way or another, oftentimes when I find myself slipping away from the mat, I always seem to find my way back again like something now formed in my DNA. If you are a blue belt and you've left the mats, it's a scary time for you because as a at the blue belt level, You've not really had that quite built into your DNA just yet. It hasn't attached itself. And until you're purple, you won't understand why that is. And But I think the reason that is is because your game in your mind hasn't really opened up yet. So if you're listening to this and you're a blue belt and you're reluctant getting back to the gym, get your ass back on the mat, you lazy bitch. Get your ass to the gym and train. Smile, have fun, slap hands, go through the dying process once again of the lack of cardio. We all know it fucking sucks. And that's probably 90% of the reason you don't go back. Believe me, I know. Guys that have bad cardio know. But once you get your purple and you're on your way to your brown, if you apply what I've talked about in this podcast, you'll get and become a map monster one day. But remember where you were when you started. Learn to become a good map monster, not a dick. A good training partner and an inspiration for somebody else who needs it. And remember to have fun, most importantly, above anything.
and share with as many people this awesome sport that we do. Thanks again for listening in. I hope you follow along to the next podcast. I'm Keith Johnson, and this is The Americana.